Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, um, I ask that you would help, help us, help us to hear your word. Help me to communicate it clearly. If there's anything I've written that I need to not say, help me in the moment not to say it. If there's anything I haven't written that I need to say, Holy Spirit, help me to think of it. Um, but we, we just need to hear from you, Lord. And we're so grateful that we have your word written down for us. By the power of your Holy Spirit, you have preserved it for us century after century after century. There are those in the history of the church and there are those in the global church right now who do not have the privilege of having your word in their hands. So, thank you. Thank you. We're here. We're ready to listen. We need your help, and we're thankful that you are more than willing to give it. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We sang those famous words a little while ago, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. One of the most famous lines in any hymn. And I think maybe one of the reasons why it's so famous is because it expresses something that we all feel. Is your heart prone to wander? Prone to leave the God you love? And do you feel it? Do you feel a pull, even if it's just an ever so slight tug to wander off the path of following Jesus? If you were to be completely honest with yourself before God this morning, could you say, I am prone to wander, Lord. I do feel it. I am prone to leave you. I don't know if there's a, a line in any hymn that would be truer for me to sing than that one. Because I feel it. 
I love him, but I could leave him. Could you? I want you to take just a moment and consider this. If there was something that could pull you away from God, that could make your heart wander and leave the God you love, what would it be? Just take a moment right now and think about it. What, what would it be if there was something that could pull you away from him? What would it be for you? pull you away from him. I'll tell you one of mine later, but I wonder, was it, as you were thinking about it, was it something about you? Was it something about God? Or or how you understand him or don't? Was it something about another person? Was there a good thing about that person? or a bad thing about that person that would pull you away from God? What makes wandering away from the God you love most attractive to you? If it could happen, what would draw you away from Friends, Hebrews was written by a pastor. We don't know who it is, but it's a pastoral letter to people whose hearts were prone to wander away and to leave Jesus. That is what Hebrews is all about. And that's why we hear in this book so many warnings about drifting away and so many invitations to draw near. Hebrews 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Right off the bat, he starts the book this way. And then in chapter 3, he says, verse 12, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original comfort Confidence firm to the end, as it is written today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. All of these warnings about drifting away, and then at least a half dozen times in Hebrews, he says, draw near, draw near, draw near, draw near. 
And for 10 chapters, this pastor presents reason after reason why Jesus is better, why you don't want to leave him, why you don't want to wander away from him. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than the high priest. His new covenant is better than their old covenant. Jesus is better than all the sacrifices. He's saying that of all the ways a person could get into the perfect and powerful and pure relationship that pulsates at the center of all reality, of all the ways you could try to get in, Jesus is better. Jesus is the only way in. There's no other way to have access to the life that you and I so desperately long for, that we were made for. There's no other way to have access to that pulsating life that's at the center of reality. We call it the Trinity. And so Jesus is the way there. Don't drift away from him. Don't fall away from him. Don't wander from him. Don't leave Jesus. And so after 10 chapters of powerfully convincing us that Jesus is the way to have access to God, he sums it up right here in verses 19 to 21. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, that's it. You have access to the life that pulsates at the center of all reality, at the holy of holies of all reality. You and I have, con- we, we have access through Jesus to that relationship. How did we get it? He goes on, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. There is a curtain between the priests and the holy of holies. Jesus is the curtain that was torn so that we have access into the presence of God. And it's a new way. It's new access to God that didn't exist until Jesus opened it up. It's a living way. It's an access to God that continues to be open because Jesus continues to live in God's presence as our high priest. I heard an interview yesterday with Dr. Larry Crabb's sons, Kep and Ken, And Kep said this, he said, if my house was burning and I knew my family was out and safe, the one thing that I would want to get out of that fire is a book of letters that my father wrote to me all my life. A book of letters that his father wrote to him is his most prized possession besides his family. Why? Why? Because that book gives him access to his father's heart. His father died a week ago today. That book gives him access to his father's heart. It's his greatest treasure. And so the pastor writing Hebrews is saying, you have full access to your father's heart through the new and living way that Jesus opened for you by his flesh and blood. So don't lose that treasure. Don't wander away from it. Don't fall away from it. But you say, Jimmy, 
that's great, and I think I know that, but I still want to lead him sometimes. I still feel my heart pulling away from him. I feel it ignoring him. I feel it thinking other things are more important than him. Yeah, me too. Me too. My heart is prone to wander. And this is why the pastor who wrote this letter looks into our eyes through these next verses and says, we need each other. We need each other. Let us, he says in verse 22. Let us, he says in verse 23. Let us, he says in verse 24. Our fellowship with one another, our life together is a means of grace. Fellowship with your fellow followers of Jesus is one of the means by which God keeps your heart from wandering, from having a hard and unbelieving heart. We, we are a gift from God to each other. Jesus is the head of the body and he's in heaven. We are the body of Christ. And we are Christ to one another. As someone has said, we're Jesus with skin on to one another. And this pastor has already told us in chapter 3, exhort one another every day as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, by your prone to wander heart. And here in chapter 10, now he's going to give us a glimpse into how we do that, how we exhort one another not to fall away from Jesus. And those three let us as the first two actually summarize what, what he wrote all the way back at the beginning of chapter 3, which I mentioned at the beginning of the service, when he says, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. That's what all these chapters have been saying, all, of, all the way up to chapter 10, verse 19. Consider Jesus. And I think these first two let us's are a summary of let us consider Jesus together. Let us keep doing it together. Let us keep looking at him and from every angle and every facet and wondering at him. And so in verse 22, he says, let us keep on drawing near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let, let's keep on drawing near. Let's keep on approaching Jesus together. That's what we do every Sunday right here. We come with true hearts, real hearts to Jesus, trusting with a full assurance of faith that as it's pictured in baptism, we are sprinkled clean by the blood of Jesus. So let us together keep on drawing near to God in faith, trusting that he's made us new. Dr. Kraft used to say that sometimes God doesn't make sense. True. <laughs> sometimes God doesn't make sense. And what he does or doesn't do doesn't always make sense. 
So when you get to the place where he doesn't make sense and nothing he's doing or not doing makes any sense, all you can do is look at the cross and trust that the God who doesn't make sense died for you. That the God who doesn't make sense right now loves you. And so whatever it is he's doing or not doing comes from a good and gracious heart of love for you. And when I'm overwhelmed by my sin or my suffering, and I'm finding it hard to draw near to that God, to draw near to the God who doesn't make sense, whose heart I don't quite understand, when I'm finding it hard to trust that his heart toward me is gracious and good, I need you to take me there. We need each other to take each other to the cross. In worship and in our studies and in our prayers so that we can see together his heart for us is good. He doesn't make sense, but he died for us. And in verse 23, he says, Let us keep on holding fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Again, let us is something we have to do with and for one another. Let us together keep on holding fast to the hope that Jesus will be faithful to keep his promises to us. And so when my holding fast is turning loose, I need you to help me keep a grip on the grace of Jesus. And when you're losing your grip on the grace of Jesus, you need me and you need each other to remind you that Jesus is faithful. And if we lose our grip, he never loses his. That's our hope. And this pastor is saying, let us do this together. We need each other if we're going to continue to consider Jesus. But here's the one I really want us to think about. That third, let us. He says in verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Years ago, I I was looking at this verse and I actually looked at it in Greek and I was like, wait a minute, that's not what this verse says. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. It sounds like that he's saying that the thing we should consider and think real hard about is how to stir others up for love and good works. Well, isn't that the way we do church a lot? You just come to church and I'm going to tell you a bunch of stuff to try to stir you up to love and good works. But that's not what it says. Commentators and Greek scholars argue that The object of consider here is one another. So here's what it it literally says. And let us keep on considering one another. Oh, great. I've got to consider people. (laughs) Some of you are saying in your head, ugh. Let us keep on considering one another. Remember? Pay close attention to. Give careful thought about. Turn the jewel of your brother or sister 
and look at every facet of who they are. That's what he's asking us to do. This is what fellowship looks like. It's not coffee and donuts, although they could be involved. But it's, it's thinking about one another. So first of all, are we, do we even really think much about each other? We're so busy. It's hard. And I'm not saying that you have to think about all 150 people at Mountain Fellowship all the time. But is there anyone you think about? Do we know each other's stories well enough to know how they shaped us? How did we get these facets? Do we know how God's grace and God's spirit have changed one another. When we meet together for coffee or a meal or in our small groups, are we curious about each other? Are we curious enough to ask questions? To kind of dig in and dig under. Who, who are you? fascinated with you. And has anyone in this church done that for you? Does anyone in this congregation know the ways that your heart is prone to wander? It doesn't mean we all have to know. Is there not? Is there one person besides your spouse? Men, is there a brother in this church who knows the ways that your heart is prone to wander? Sisters, is there another daughter of God in this church who knows how you struggle to believe that all that God says about how he loves you is true? Do we know each other that well? All right, enough of all the touchy-feely considering one another. What's the point? What's the point of considering one another? He says, let us consider one another for the purpose of stirring up love and good works. So whatever considering and thinking about one another we do should have the result that it provokes love and good works. That's what the word is. It's provoke. In a negative sense, it means to irritate. And some of you are thankful that now you have a biblical command to irritate one another. That's not what we're talking about here. Uh, here here's a way to think about it. It's, it's when, you're, when you've got the fire in the fireplace or the campfire and it's starting to die down, you stoke it, Right? Stir it up, you, you get some oxygen on it, you get some more fuel for the fire, you fan it into a flame. And that's what he's talking about here. He says, he's saying, let us together keep on fanning the flame of love into a wildfire of good works in the world 
in the places God has put us. Because, and I'm not even going to talk about good works this morning, because good works will flow if the love is there. Good works are just a practical outworking of love. So the question is, what is the biblical way to stoke or provoke love in a believer? What should we be doing to provoke love in our brothers and sisters in Christ? Two things. Pray God's love into their hearts. So consider them. Consider where they might be prone to wander. Consider where they might be prone to not believe the gospel that they are loved by their Father because of Jesus, by the power of the Spirit. Consider them and pray God's love into their hearts. This is what Paul said in Ephesians 3. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father so that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you, my brothers and sisters, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Power of the spirit in your inner being for what? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend. Strength to comprehend. With all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul is praying the love of God into the hearts of these people. Because he knows they need strength to comprehend how much Jesus loves them. It's height, it's breadth, it's depth how big it is, and how it surpasses all knowledge. So that's one way we can stoke the fire of love in each other, is to pray it into each other. The second way is to preach God's love to their hearts. We've we've said, 1 John 4, 19... We love because he first loved us. The only way a Christian is going to have a flame of love fanning is if he knows the love of his father, her father. And so, we help each other keep on considering Jesus. Keep on considering the access we have to our father through Jesus. But what this assumes is that you and I have considered our brother or sister well enough to know where they need the love of God applied to their hearts. That's why I keep asking the question, who knows you well enough to know where your heart is prone to wander, how your heart is prone to wander? Because if you let them know where your heart is most likely to wander away from God, they'll know best how to preach the gospel to that place in your heart. They'll know best how to apply the balm to that wound. 
So who knows us well enough to know how we're prone to wander, and who do you know well enough? What this might mean is that our conversations at small group might need to get a little deeper. Some of you do this very well. Um, And all of us are equipped by the Spirit to do it, but I just, just consider your, your conversations with someone over coffee or breakfast or in a small group. Are we getting down into, are we considering one another, one another deeply enough? Are we curious enough about one another that we really get to that place? Where is your heart prone to wander? Where do you most need to be convinced that what Jesus has done for you is real? And you have access to the Father through him. Another implication, another implication is this. You and I cannot effectively and powerfully consider one another unless we are continually, continually, carefully considering Jesus. Why? Well, first of all, because we have to see our brother or sister as someone who is in Christ. I have to remember that you have been welcomed into the pulsating life of the relationship of the Trinity at the center of all reality through the new and living way opened by Jesus. I have to remember that you are sinners who by faith in Jesus have been sprinkled clean as I consider you. I have to remember that you are a sufferer whose only hope is the faithful Jesus who promised that one day he will take away all your tears, all your sorrow. Death will be defeated. All your suffering will end. Your hope is in him. I have to continually consider Jesus so that I can more clearly see you as his saint. And then, you and I have to continually consider Jesus so that we can be the kind of person that someone would want to get into their heart and consider them. Some of you get a little nervous when you talk about, I don't want anybody considering my heart or the ways I'm prone to wander because they're either going to judge me or they're going to try to fix me. Well, maybe you should do this. Or um, they're going to give me that whole dismissive suck it up buttercup thing. I just, I don't, I don't want that kind of person getting into my heart. And so those of us who are going to try to consider the hearts of others, we need to not be that kind of person. And the only way we can not be that kind of person is to remember what Jesus was for us. The only way I can have compassion for saints who are sinners and sufferers is to remember the compassion that Jesus has given me. Last Saturday morning, the elders of the church met right back there. And in the middle of our discussion about the church and how things are going and what what needs to be done and all the things that we are concerned and burdened about for you, one of our elders turned to me and said, how are you doing, Jimmy? 
he was, he was trying to consider me. It was very kind. It was a little bit uncomfortable, a little awkward, but it was so kind. And the other elders all looked at me with kindness in their eyes, waiting for the answer to the question. <laughs> and because I know that these are men who consider Jesus a lot, who know his compassion for them as sinners and sufferers, and who pray for me and consider me, I felt comfortable saying, well, if you really want to know, and I won't tell you everything I said, but here's, here's the one way that I'm prone to wander that I shared with them. I am prone to live more in the look of others than I am prone to live in the look of my father. Does that make sense? I'm, I'm more prone to live in what I think the look on your face is to me than I am prone to live in what I know the look on God's face is to me because of Jesus. And therefore, I so easily tie my sense of well-being, how am I doing? Or tie my sense of worth, what am I worth? I tie it to my performance. If I've been a good pastor and a good preacher and a good shepherd, then I feel pretty good. My well-being is great. My worth is high. If I feel like I'm not doing well, well-being, worth. But neither one of those is trusting Jesus. Because <laughs> I'm tying my well-being and my worth to me or to what you think of me, or what I think you think of me. The only place, the only one who deserves to hold the weight of who I am is my Father. And so, it's a hard, unbelieving heart that looks anywhere else for my well-being and sense of worth. So, that's one of the ways that my heart is prone to wander. And our elders were kind enough to hear it and ask for it and explore it and encourage me. So I needed my brothers to know how I'm prone to wander so that they can pray the love of God into my heart and preach the love of God into my heart. You need that too. Who is doing that in your life? And who are you doing that for? So, as the writer of Hebrews says, let's not make it a habit of not getting together. And I know that in this age of COVID, that's a little awkward. Uh, don't hear that as a guilt trip about... Everybody who is not here has their reasons for not being here. That's not what this is about. But it's about, are we getting together? What he's described here in Hebrews can't just be done on Sunday morning. 
as you're all sitting in rows looking this way. This considering one another happens in a circle when we're looking at each other. The chairs are turned toward each other. So when we do finally get to get together, all of us, in worship and in our small groups, our fellowship groups, and in our times of coffee and meals together, let's make sure that we are continually, carefully considering one another because Jesus has so carefully considered us. And he didn't reject what he found. He died for it. So encourage one another with the good news about Jesus more and more until the day he comes. That's fellowship. Father, Father, I, oh, I long for that. I long for that for, for me, for my family. I long for that for this church. That as you bring us back together again uh, as a fellowship, that we would truly fellowship with each other, with you. That we would help one another consider you to think hard about you to pay careful attention to you, Jesus. And then that you, by your Spirit, would help us to consider one another. Let us, let us take it to another level of fellowship that we've never experienced. That's my prayer for us. Because that's your plan for us. So we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen.